0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good day, everyone. This is Tony Moskal with your high school sports podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for everyone. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Joining me today is a, I know you guys are going to find this hard to believe, that I have what's called a longtime friend, A tremendous basketball coach, tremendous teacher, a referee, and an all-around great guy, my good friend, Greg Hayes. Greg, welcome to the podcast.
1: Man, thank you. I'm going to write that down and show people, put it on a card so they have a hard time with somebody. Thank you.
0: Well, people have a hard time believing that I have any friends whatsoever, let alone a long-time friend, because it's been, I believe we met probably in 1988 when I was a very below average to bad basketball coach up in the Santa Clarita Valley. And our paths crossed with Pam Walker, your friend, Gary Grayson, your friend. And we've been friends ever since.
1: Yeah, and you're a great friend, too. We've, we've been on the basket, uh, the soccer court together, uh, soccer field together, I should say. And we've done all kinds of things, yeah, including Fox sports.
0: While you were refing those games, I would like to thank you for not giving me a yellow card or pointing me towards the parking lot. You were so fun. I enjoyed it. Your kids were great too. It was a it was a good time. So let's let's talk about you've you've got a great story to tell um, from getting involved in coaching, teaching, and and working with obviously the best coach in any sport at any level. Your experience with John Wooden, which we will get into later on in the podcast, and your your book, of course, which is called. Camping with Coach Wooden, shoes and socks, the pyramid, and a little chap. We'll get into that. Um, but Greg, you grew up Orange County, I believe you said El Dorado High School. Uh, what was your experience like? What sports did you play down there? How did you get involved in it?
1: Well, I loved El Dorado. It's still a great school, and a lot of great athletes have come out of there. I played high school football. One of the greatest experiences of my life. I just loved it. Uh, baseball was really good for me. I got cut as a little tiny freshman after two days. We had a great team. It was seized back then. You had freshmen, sophomore, juniors. Those guys went on to, to a CAAF championship game. It was kind of hard to make it. And so my sophomore year, I got pretty much committed to basketball. I'm sorry, to, to football and baseball. I was in band. And my brother's team needed a fifth and sixth grade basketball coach. And so at 15 years old, I started coaching basketball.
0: Wow. 15 years old, you should be being coached, but you get involved in coaching. What was that like for you, and how did you learn the game to teach the basic fundamentals to 5th and 6th graders?
1: Well, the great thing was with my brother on the team, you know, you can't pull an authority kick. You have to do it based on relationships. And so that was a real good way to start coaching in that regard. And then we had a great high school coach. Nash Rivera is legendary in Orange County. So he was a, a resource for me. I also had a great junior high coach when I grew up in Bakersfield, Coach Henry, and he taught me so much that was foundational for me beginning coaching. And then because of Nash Rivera, I ended up when I graduated from high school, a kid who gets cut at El Dorado, ends up being a coach. They brought me on staff, and I coached there for five years. And they went, to, you know, they won two CIF championships, every level won the championship. And because of that foundation, because it was so good. It was based on Coach Wooden's teaching so much. When I had a chance at UCLA, when I graduated, out of the blue, I answered a prayer of a prayer I never asked, basically. I got to coach at UCLA. I was prepared because of my experience at El Dorado under Nash Rivera.
0: And what were the specific things that he taught you? Was it how to plan a practice, how to teach a skill, how to deal with kids, how to build relationships? how to deal with a kid when they do something wrong, how to build them up, how to, how to compliment them, how to correct them.
1: Yeah, you know, you just explained it for Coach Rivera and Coach Wooden, all those things, and both of them are great teachers. And so I actually learned a lot from both of them. We'll talk more about Coach Wooden later, but I learned so much from them as a teacher that it helps me in the classroom. I think I learned more from my coaching mentors than I did from my actual college education classes.
0: I think we both did. I I coached for a fantastic uh, football coach, Bill Riddell, that most everybody in Southern California knows, and guys like Jim Benkert, Rich Fong, Tim Lins. And, you know, we learned so much about teaching from coaching. And it's funny you mentioned all your, you know, your credential programs and your master's programs, and I went through all those too. I learned more from guys on a football field than I did from these so-called experts in a classroom about how to deal with kids, how to deal with different personalities. And and you just echoed that that you found that to be the, the truth as well.
1: Right, because you know Coach Wooden said I wasn't he wasn't a coach. He always said he was a teacher. He was teaching a game, not coaching a game. And that's how Coach Rivera was as well. And and as well as Iron Novick, another person who helped me at El Dorado High School, and Larry Hookman and Terry Conway. It was a great staff to nurture me. And then when I got to UCLA and it's Larry Farmer and Craig Implement, and a wonderful man and Gary Cunningham, and Jim Herrick on that staff, who to this day is taking care of me. Um, Those were great teachers, and that teaching shows in every aspect of life. In fact, because of that, I was able to coach softball and coach, you know, Crystal Bustos. I was able to coach track, coach my daughters in track, which is the best coaching experience I've ever had. Yeah, it it translates beyond it. It goes beyond coaching even basketball to coaching other sports as well.
0: Well, and it also helps you in a classroom, how to plan things out, how to organize things, how to deal with different personalities, because coaching a sport is the microcosm of everything. Because in youth sports, which we both coach, you get the kids that are really, really good. You get the kids that are in the middle and you get the kids that are out there. You know, it's kind of like their parents push them out there and they're more interested in blowing the things off a dandelion and chasing the butterflies and kicking a soccer ball.
1: Right. And again, it's relational to understand each kid and care so deeply about each kid. My biggest regrets in coaching are relationship failures. My greatest joys in coaching are not the championships and all that. It's the relational relational successes, so to speak, the deep, meaningful, positive, motivating relationships you have with your athletes.
0: And I'm sure that you, to this day, and you're still teaching, you're retired from the district, that you still get messages from kids. I I do as well. And it's, It's fun to hear from them. It's fun to see their successes, and it's fun to run into them in the community and then have them say, thank you for what you did for me. It it helped, and you look at it and go, oh, okay. I was just doing what I thought was right.
1: Well, exactly, and I I think when I first got into coaching, I thought, well, I want to have an impact on kids. And then after a while, I realized that's a little bit presumptuous. I think you do the right thing, and you love kids, and you, you are relational, and you prepare and do the best you can. And you realize you get so much from them. And, you know, I'm still teaching because I'm actually teaching at Academy of the Canyons this year until March. And so I'm still learning. I'm still applying those lessons I learned from those great mentors of mine. And I learned from my students as well and my athletes.
0: Well, a lot of times they'll tell us what we do wrong and they're not shy about it. And then they'll tell us what they like and what works for them. And then that helps mold us as teachers and coaches as well.
1: Right. And when I first started, started in coaching, I think I was really defensive about that. Now I want it. I seek it out. To criticize suggestions, all that. I want it. That's how I grow. That's how I understand. And they've got great feedback. They have great understanding. Sometimes much more than I have.
0: Because they know they know what they want. And if we're open to it, then that just makes us better teachers and coaches.
1: Right. And we know how it's what we're doing, no matter how well our intentions are, how it's being perceived. And so that feedback is just so invaluable. And when you have you when you coach your daughters, you know this because you coach your kids. That's great feedback. I think everybody should have to coach their kids before they ever coach anybody. Um, and I was so blessed. I loved coaching my daughters. And I got great feedback from them as well, and immediate feedback, including from their friends.
0: And their and their mother as well.
1: Right, right.
0: You know, that and that was that was fun. I, I really enjoyed coaching my kids. Sometimes they didn't enjoy it. But that now that both of us have children that are older, we look back on it and we kind of laugh. And you say, Dad, you really made me do that? Really? Okay. Well, look, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right?
1: Yeah, and the great thing is, is I think I, I, both my daughters would be great coaches in their own right if they wanted to. In fact, they are in a lot of ways. And um, they're actually very appreciative. We have special memories together.
0: Yeah, that's great. So now how did you get into teaching? Uh, you go to UCLA. Um, how'd you get into teaching? Did you major in education?
1: I did. I was a history major. I started out as a PE major at UCLA and they right away switched it to kinesiology and I said, oh, that's that's way too much science for me. So I became a history major. But when the opportunity came to coach at UCLA, I was with Coach Cunningham for two years and then he resigned. Great success. He had great success, but he wanted to be an athletic director and Billy Moore, the great Olympic coach brought me over with a women's team, got to coach Jackie Jordan-Cursey and Denise Curry and a bunch of wonderful people, but great athletes and great teams. And then you don't get paid a whole lot of money coaching at UCLA, I suppose, as a young person. So I started substitute teaching on Fridays, I think, at El Dorado High School. And I thought, you know, my alma mater said, I love this, wow. And so after two years, of the women, I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, do a little bit of high school coaching for a while and and teaching, and I'll come back to the college level. And I loved it, but I was also coaching Athletes National USA College all-star teams in the summer. So I could still coach college in the summer and coach high school and teach during the regular regular school year. The problem was I fell in love with teaching. And as much as I had to grow in it, um, Canyon High School is a great place to be. And I learned a lot. And I stayed with teaching because I loved it so much. I had a chance to go back to a Division One program. I accepted it. And after two weeks, I said, you know what? I can't do this. I miss high school and I miss coaching too much. So the school graciously let me come back. And it was a wise decision.
0: And you were at UCLA in the 70s. And John Wooden was there until 1975. What was it like going to games at Poly during their just tremendous success as, as a basketball program?
1: Well, I was in a band at that time. It's the reason I went to UCLA. Instead of going to a small college and playing sports, I went to UCLA so I could be in a band and be around Coach Wooden, not knowing I would ever coach at UCLA. Again, that was a that was a prayer I never prayed. There was prayed that was answered, so to speak. Um, being around him was great. The first time I saw him I was like, Oh, it's Coach Wooden. But he said hi to me before I could ever say hi to him. He was so gracious. I went to the practices, I was at the games, every one of them. I was at the Final Four, the championship game in San Diego in 75, his last um, game there. When you're around him, I mean he's he's the legend, of course. But to be around him, the more you are, the more you just see his wonderful personal qualities. And you see what a humble, as I said, he's a he's a hero who doesn't disappoint. He just remained consistent and true to those great values. And then to see the consistent teaching and the consistent high level of performance by he and his players was a wonderful thing to see.
0: And you're just a kid playing an instrument in the band and you're just watching this and, and you end up working at his camps out in Cal Lutheran. How did that whole experience come about?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. And you, you talk about praying about things. I did pray kind of about this. Like, you know, if, if teaching is not the right thing, you know, what is it? Well, it turned out I was coaching at UCLA. So I had a chance to work for Gene Bartu, who had just resigned as a UCLA coach. And then I went to Coach Wooden's camp. And I was a counselor the first year, and they liked me so much, they said, you're gonna be a coach from now on. But being around coach, um, to eat breakfast with him and lunch with him, he was at camp all day long. He would run the sessions with the kids like they were his coaches. He would coach us like he was his coaches. Gave us all his time, his care. He was motivated to help us. And so, you know, as as intimidated as you are with him, you just, you learn every second with him. A lot of times, not by what he said, but just more importantly by by who who he is as a person, who he was as a person. And then the other thing, I remember the first couple of years, though, he was so basic in fundamentals and team playing conditioning and the way he taught it. And you're thinking, okay, this is really good coach, but, you know, give us the good stuff. And after about the third year, you thought, oh, my goodness, this is the good stuff. This is the teaching, the repetition of fundamentals, and the really good culture. They didn't use that word back then, but he built a tremendous culture. And that's what you learned after a while and said, this is the good stuff. This is why you were so great, because every day you truly made a masterpiece. And every day you showed consideration for other people. And every day you prepared and taught through repetition, and you knew the laws of learning and motivation, and you had individual personal relationships with people. And so that consistency, that consistent excellence that he demanded of himself every day, peace of mind, do the best you can and motivating others to do that, you know, that, that's just a tremendous example, and it's a tough standard to live up to, I'll tell you that.
0: Did people, while you guys were there, while you were counselors, while you were coaches, how much of a sense of awe was there that this tremendous coach, tremendous person gave you guys attention? Did you ever kind of stand around and look at each other and think, wow, we're learning from the best?
1: Yeah, we all did. And in fact, the book that I wrote about is about the last camp we ever had because we, we knew you know, he was going to probably, that was his last one. And so we all truly savored that one. We all came back. Four, kind of the veterans have been there a long time. But we savored it all along. I think every time you ate breakfast with him or lunch or within the gym with him, or you walked to the gym or you had your picture taken with him, we always savored that. We were in awe of him at the beginning. You never lost that sense of awe. But after a while, it turned from like Coach Wooden to Coach, where you felt comfortable with him. And he would joke around with you so much because he had a tremendous sense of humor. People didn't realize that. Always, his players didn't realize until they were done playing with him. So you you were more comfortable and more personal with him, but you never fully got over that awe. Like this is Coach Wooden.
0: Did anybody ever try to joke with him, knowing that he had a personality? Uh, anybody try to kind of get him to laugh or get him to do something out of his, you know, tremendous character?
1: Oh, everybody did. Lee Melster, the long-term College of the Canyons coach, was there. And he could really have fun with Coach. But the thing with Coach is you always knew if you needled Coach. He, that competitive greatness he had and that great sense of humor, he was going to out-needle you. He would out-rib you. He would get you and end up on top in that. So Coach could really dish it out in a really good way, too. In a way, you always laughed with it. And so he was great at that. And he enjoyed laughing and he enjoyed needling back and forth with people that was a great gift he had
0: and i think that for both of us a part of that kind of translates into what we do where we joke and have a good time with kids and kind of let them kind of needle us back a little bit which helps develop and develop and build those relationships
1: right and again i think it's something you learn more and more as you go and um yeah there's no doubt and it's different you're not putting somebody down it's not a put down. It's not a sarcastic humor. It's just kind of fun. I. It's hard to explain fully, but Coach is masterful at it.
0: And I love having those conversations with kids where, you know, you joke with them and they joke with you. And if you can take it and you laugh with them, then they look and they go, wow, oh, wow, you know, Mr. Hayes or Mr. Moskwa, they, they've got a personality. This is going to be fun. And it's at that point where then the real teaching can happen because you basically drawn that kid in and there's that trust factor where you can then build that relationship and do a lot more teaching.
1: No, exactly. That, that's exactly right. And with the kids, not only when you, they kneel a little bit, but you get to listen to them. And again, I ask my students, I ask my, my athletes, I've learned to seek their input. I learned so much about myself. And how I can be better and help, I can serve them better. You know, one more thing about Coach with that needling. He can really make fun of himself. He stayed very, very humble through all of that.
0: And I think sometimes that slight self-deprecating humor where kids see you make fun of yourself kind of allows them, it relaxes them a little bit to say, oh, okay. So if if he's making fun of himself, then that allows us to be a little bit more open and engage in, in conversations that are more meaningful.
1: Right. I had some tech problems in class yesterday and I just, Hey, sorry, you guys, you know, bear with me, be patient with me. And they were so graceful, these Academy of the Canyon students, they were so graceful and, and kind and patient and understanding and flexible. Yeah. It, it, it's definitely a strength. And it is something I learned from coach Wooden that I wasn't good. You know, it took a while. We all grow in the profession. But Coach let me know that, too, and let us know. He made mistakes. And when we hear that, that makes us feel a lot better, too, that the mistakes we're making he made, that's really – that's a good thing. That's, that would really help me a lot in coaching.
0: When, when you see the game and, and how the game has changed, and you've seen it from all the, the camps you've been running for over 30 years, your, your shot doctor stuff, you know, and everything you've done – how has the game changed with kids, with parents, with with you? And is it for the better or is it kind of, wow, we're going down a bad road here?
1: No, I, I think, well, from a basketball standpoint, obviously the three-point play has helped. But what's really changed basketball is the freedom of, of movement and the interpretation. On the perimeter. you can't really put your hand on anybody. So the offensive player can, can bully their way in if they have to. I think that's changed basketball. From a coaching standpoint, I think we're better. I think we have to communicate better. I think we have to listen better, be more compassionate, be aware of how things came off. I think for a long time, coaches got away with a lot that maybe they shouldn't have gotten away with. Um, do I think people are overprotective sometimes? Um, yes, but I can't control that. I can only control my end of it. And I've learned that the better you communicate with your athletes and the better you listen to them and the more one you say, I'm sorry. I think parents, you tend not to deal with parents because when kids are listened to and they feel they have a voice and there's open dialogue, they don't want their parents talking to them. If they know they're getting a fair shot at things. And again, the communication is open. I think it's healthy. I think it's really healthy for everybody. And I think it's a growth area for sports. So I like it, It's, it's caused me to be better help me to be better, uh, continue wanting to get better. The relationships are better. And, again, I I tend to think that when you do it well, you don't need much more than the player and the athlete. I'm sorry, the athlete and the coach, sorry.
0: Do you think that John Wooden would be a successful coach today with the social media, with all of the, the publicity, with all of the things that have gone on and changed?
1: Somebody asked him that in the 70s about some different changes. And it, to make the long story short, he said, look, I coached in the 60s with all the rebellion and all that. I mean, he went out and explained it all and he said, do I think I coached in the 70s? Sure. And I would say the same thing now. Because he was such a great teacher, his personal skills were so good. He, um, the fundamentals are the same. Every offseason, he would take something he wanted to get better at and he would learn from his fellow coaches So he would always adapt to the game. He would have continued to recruit really, really well. Yeah, if he was coaching today, he'd still be competing for and winning national championships. I think if he'd stayed past 1975, he would have won more national championships at UCLA and probably could have coached in his 80s and won more national championships. He was a coach for the ages. He was not in his era. His talents would allow him to transcend periods of time and changes in the game, which he saw in his many years. He was always adapting.
0: Even though that when we see the game today, it's a lot of, you know, the me, me, me stuff. And, you know, he, you mentioned the sixties, which was a lot of, you know, the rebellion and the freedom and, and, you know, Bill Walton was there and Bill was a definitely a free spirit. And, do you think it would have been difficult for him to kind of reel in these kids who go to the camps, who go to the personal trainers, who do all this other stuff, who are told how great they are? But when when I watch basketball, I see a lot of, you know, there's a lot of fundamentals, I think, but you would know more than I do because you're more of an expert and I'm a novice, that we've lost a lot of the fundamentals because kids just want to shoot and dunk. We have, and they
1: want to dribble and shoot threes a lot. And when you get to the basket and shoot threes and dunk, yeah. A lot of the blame is for the coaches and the system we set up in America. We're playing way too many games. Travel coaches are doing it. Uh, The college coaches want to see kids at these showcases. That's all fine when we're playing way too many games. And the training that's going on is not always that good. I watch NBA players work out all the time. And the NBA trainers are simple what they do. We want to gimmicky a lot in training kids. But if you look internationally... They're not playing as many games. They're working on the skills and the fundamentals. And that's what Coach Wooden would have done. And he would have overcome all that stuff. You know, there were plenty of egos back in his day, as you already mentioned, a couple athletes. athletes. He would have dealt with that. Uh, He would have made sure that you're not trying to be better than somebody else. And he would have stressed being the best that you can be. And be careful of conceit. That's something you give yourself and it's something to be wary of. So... He's always dealt with that and would have dealt with it very well on this day today. I like today's athletes. I think you can communicate with them. And, um, and, And I think they want to be taught the fundamentals. As you mentioned, my shooting camps, I get to do that. I get to work camps where we work fundamentals. And I get to take Coach Wooden's camps and bring that, you know, kind of a poor man's version. I do the best I can. But I try to bring Coach Wooden to my camps and my coaching. And it's as successful
0: now as it was then. It's funny you mentioned, you know, the fundamentals. I remember going to a basketball clinic in Las Vegas years ago, and John Thompson, the great Georgetown coach, was speaking. And he said the problem he saw with basketball, and this is back in 85, 86, he said that I recruit these kids, and I have to teach them the fundamentals to the game of basketball. I see their athleticism, but – it's, it's a shame that I have to basically teach them the basics because nobody really has.
1: Right. And, you know, as a coach now, I'm so thankful for Dan Waldeck for the opportunity, blessed to be able to do it. Um, we have a wonderful program at the Masters University, the women's program, a, a potential number one team in the country next year with the returning NAIA player that you're coming back. And the women's game there's a lot more teaching, a lot more fundamental work that's going on on the women's game. And Coach Wooden always said he enjoyed the women's game more for that reason. And a lot of basketball purists like that. And a lot of the traditional coaches, even longtime guys' coaches, really respect the women's coaches because they get to do more of that. The women are playing more and more. The girls are playing a lot more tournaments and games. But there's still a lot of training, a lot of fundamental foundational work that's being done in the women's game.
0: Well, a lot of people have said that the, the good thing about the women's game is it's below the rim and not above the rim. So you've got to rely more on the fundamentals. And, and throughout the last several years, women have become so much more athletic. I mean, I've gone to several UCLA games with our dear friend Pam Walker. And, and to see the athleticism from, from some of these, these ladies, it's just phenomenal how, how great it is to see that.
1: Right, I got you know you talk about Pam Walker, she's kind of she's a great friend, but she's a mentor to me. If I need something, I'll call Pam. Um, Steve Tucker, great friend, professional coach I've been with for a long time. I'll coach Steve. I'm trying to you know stay current and, and continue to learn. It's a great point. It is becoming more athletic, uh, but the teaching Corey Close and her staff does a tremendous job teaching the game at UCLA. So the, a lot of the women's coaches and and on the high school level and college level, they're. Uh, they're great mentors for people and guys coaches to learn from.
0: Let's talk about what you are now doing with the Los Angeles Clippers. You are a youth coach. Uh, what is it? How'd you get involved with the Clippers and what is it that you're doing?
1: Well, I love working for the Clippers. What a great organization I'm talking about a great culture. I was a Laker fan. I did not like the Clippers and I was at a Northridge Cal Northridge practice watching. I was I was out of teaching, I was out of coaching. I started watching teens practice. I'm in North Arizona. I meet a guy who's a former D1 coach who got out of coaching, he's just watching and he had just joined with the Clippers. And I said, wow, how do I get involved? He said, I'll call him for you. So the Clippers called me He said, we'd like you to be a part of it. And so we do clinics and camps all over Southern California. And we go to every diverse community there is in Southern California. I mean, every diverse you can think of. And it's wonderful. And we bring alumni, alumni player, Olden Polonese. I love to work with Olden, Olden Polonese. Uh, we bring some young coaches. It's fun for me to be around, be around these young coaches. And we put about an hour and a half clinic on. You know, we've gone three hours away. We put on three clinics in one day, hundreds of kids, whatever. And we just teach the fundamentals of the game, speaking of that. And so the Clippers have a great following and they invest. In the communities. The Clippers truly care about the diverse communities in Southern California. So basically, I was, you know, a guy I just met recommends me. The Clippers are a great organization. Love work, working for them. And I love doing it. We work hard at it. We have summer week long, summer camps. We do virtual camps. We do things online. It's a great organization. I've, I've met wonderful people, coached wonderful kids. Um, that's been a true blessing being associated with the Clippers.
0: How do people find out or get information on those camps? Because I know that Steve Ballmer invested a lot of money in refurbishing courts, building courts down in some uh, less fortunate neighborhoods. Where can people go to get that information so they can, you know, either get involved or get their kids involved or just find out about it?
1: Right you know, Paul George just did that in Palmdale. We got to be with him a couple days after Christmas and he's done a tremendous job with communities. One of the reasons he came back to the Clippers was to be able to invest more in the communities around here, including Palmdale. So the Clippers are really good on social media. You can look on any social media platform. They're really good. But if you go to their website, Los Angeles Clippers Youth Basketball, and also on Instagram and on Facebook, there's a lot of information. And then check with local communities because the local communities partner with the Clippers with their youth programs and putting these clinics on. So there's two ways of doing that. If you want your community to do it, comment or connect with your community leaders and also go ahead and contact the Clippers directly and request that they put on a clinic in your community or a camp, a week-long camp or a winter camp in your community. It's well worth it.
0: And it, it does nothing but help grow the game of basketball and, and give kids that opportunity, opportunity to, to play the game, to get involved in the game, and to meet some really cool people. Man, I remember Olden Polonese when he played for the Clippers and, and Paul George when he played up at Pete Knight High School in the Antelope Valley. There's, and there is a ton of talent in the NBA that it has Southern California roots.
1: Right. And the Clippers have done a great job of bringing them home, just like Kawhi. And what I'm really impressed with is the quality of people the Clippers bring back. I mean, Paul George, when you're around Paul George, you just go, Wow, can I be like you? He's just a, he's such a good person. I mean, he's an amazing basketball player. He's a better person. But no, you're right. And, and the Clippers drew, truly care. And a lot of the kids we deal with are not going to be even high school players necessarily. I mean, some are. And or college players approach, some will be, but most of them we're just helping give a message that I think the Clippers care that they're better people as a result. And that's the great thing that I got to do around Coach Wooden. It all ties back in. That's kind of my heart on it. You know, when your foundation is Nash Rivera and Coach Wooden way back when you were younger and like coach Hookman and some other people I was fortunate, blessed to be around. It's got to be much bigger than the game. And the Clippers get that. It's much bigger than the game.
0: And a lot of times when you look at young kids, no, they're not going to play in college. No, they're not going to play in the at a professional level. But to expose them to something, to give them the confidence, to give them that that incentive to not only get better at a game, but get better at life and give them those opportunities, it's, it's a priceless thing because – as you know, Greg, and, and I know not that I ever had a career in anything, but everybody's athletic career stops. Sometimes it's on your terms and sometimes it's not on your terms. And we all have to deal with life after our careers playing sports are over, whether it's youth sports, high school or college or pro.
1: No, it's true. And, and you've invested a lot in high school and now you're doing great stuff with um, you know Fox Sports and, and other venues. we both get to work with Dave Caldwell who's tremendous when we brand good people. Um, that's what matters. And we get to keep growing and build upon all our experiences and not live in the past and not try to base your meaning in life or your self-worth based on championships and number of games you, you win or whatever else. It's the people you get to associate and grow with and learn from and serve together with that makes it so meaningful and and again, I'll use the word blessed because between El Dorado High School and UCLA and Valencia High School and Canyon High School, I was at West Ranch for a while to be associated with masters, with clippers, um, the camps I get to run, etc. It's It's special and you just count your blessings every day for those opportunities. So people came along
0: the way. I do have to say that when my son was a senior in high school and something happened with his social studies teacher. And he said, dad, we got a guy that, that came into our class because something happened to Mr. So-and-so. And I said, oh, what's his name? And he said, Mr. Hayes. I said, is his first name Greg? He said, yeah, how do you know him? I said, you're going to learn more from Greg in the first day than you will in an entire semester from the guy you had. And you know what, to this day, that rings true. And we talk about that experience he, that he had with having you as a teacher. For that short period of time, the impact you made on him.
1: You're so nice. And that was really special. Although Coach Wynn would always say, he would quote Abraham Lincoln that says, You learn something from everybody you meet is usually what not to do. So I hope, you know, I probably uh, taught him some things not to do along the way as well. But thank you for that.
0: Well, I've, I've, (laughs) that's (laughs) the the kind of motto of my life what not to do. But be that as it may, Greg, I, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time. Uh, to join me here. It, it was fun catching up. It's great seeing you out in the community. It's great seeing you out at, at church. And and I look forward to our future conversations about just not only sports, basketball, uh, but life in general.
1: Well, you know, I, and I'm sure people are listening are going to listen to this and we will appreciate that. But if nobody listened, it was just you and I talking. It would have been really special and just a great time. So thank you. Thankful for you.
0: It, it is, man. It's always great to see you. It's great to see Pam. It's great to see Larry. It's great to go to games and, and catch back up with people that have been in, in our lives for what's going on 30 years or thereabouts, my friend.
1: Right. Special.
0: Crazy. Yeah. All right, Greg. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, go teach your class. I'm going to teach my class. This online stuff is, has got us all kind of uh, doing different things, as we should say. It's, it's a challenge, but we're up to the challenge.
1: Yep, I'm thankful for
0: it. All right, Greg, thanks so much. Hey, if Thank you enjoyed the podcast, please don't be shy about hitting the subscribe button. Uh, sports are back, sports are not back, uh, but the coronavirus is still here. Wear your masks, keep your social distance. Let's try and get this thing out of our society. Let's try and take care of each other. Let's enjoy our, our, each other's company. Until the next time, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.